All right, so we are continuing on with uh, Truth for Living, and uh, we're going to do uh, a breakneck rev- neck review <coughs> Excuse me, of what we had already uh, talked about, and then uh, we're going to jump through uh, and look at the question for the day, the, the new question that the kids are learning, and of course, a new question for us. So, um, and my, for whatever reason, it's not showing that up here. So anyways, um, hold on. Things are not working. Technology, right? Okay, there we go. Um, so first question, what is the Bible? The Bible is the only inspired written Word of God above all other books in wisdom, power, and authority. And we saw from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, uh, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you uh, heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. So it is God's Word. How can we know that the Bible really is the true Word of God? And the answer is we need the Spirit of God who helps us uh, to know that the Bible is true and that it is from God. And of course, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but we've received the Spirit who is from God so that we can understand the things that God has freely given to us. So how did God give us this Bible? Well, there were holy men of God who uh, were inspired by Him to write down His words exactly as He wanted. And again, we have to keep in mind, those Scriptures do not come through the efforts of men. It's not a product of men. Uh, It wasn't produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then, so if it's from God, can it have any errors? The answer is no, because God's own nature demands that He provide what's truth. Does the Bible teach any errors or lies? No. God's Word is true and without error because God tells only the truth. And we saw this in Psalm 119, 160, that the sum or the totality of God's Word is true, and every one of His righteous rules endures forever. So we understand where the Bible came from. We understand what the Bible is. So what does the Bible teach us? Well, it teaches us what God wants us to believe about Him and how He wants us to behave before Him. So belief and actions. And it has to come in that order. We must believe, and then our belief is going to determine the way that we act. And again, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, likely Solomon, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So the question that we looked at, well, well, it's been centuries, it's been millennia since the Bible has been written. Can we be sure that God's Word is still good and true today? And yes, we looked at the doctrine of preservation. God has preserved His Word for it to be good and true forever. It never changes. And we saw in Matthew 5.18, Heaven and earth will pass away. But not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So, understanding that this truth continues, the last question we looked at um, a couple weeks ago was, well, why do we need the Bible? And the Bible is the only source wherein we can find out uh, who God is and how we can be right with Him. And this is so important. What is the main theme of Scripture? It is not a list of rules. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not even a, something given to us just to, show, just to just purely show us how to be saved. Ultimately, the Bible is a book about who? About Jesus Christ. And so 
We saw in 2 Timothy 3.15, which, keep this in the back of your mind because we're going to be coming back to it in just a little bit, um, how from Timothy, or Paul's writing to Timothy, how from a childhood he was acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so this is a good sort of, sort of um, transitional verse to what we're going to look at today. And that is, how can we truly get to know God? How can we truly have the ability to, to know Him? And we're not just talking about head knowledge. We're not talking about um, um, having facts or being able to answer uh, questions on a test. But we're looking at how can we truly know Him from a relational standpoint. And the answer to that question is we get to know God by faith. But where does, how is faith worked within us? How is it engendered within us? Faith which comes from hearing the what? The Word. You cannot divorce faith, faith from Scripture. And so, anyone want to take a guess as to, as to what passage maybe lines up behind this? All right, you've been studying with the kids, Nicole, so that's how you know. So yeah, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing, and what is it that we are hearing? Well, we're hearing the Word of Christ. So I wanted to sort of step back for a second and discuss why Scripture must be the place that we look to find faith that gives us knowledge of God. And so I wanted to ask a question. What are some possible sources of knowledge of God? So what can we potentially look to to try to know God? And there are three things that we're going to talk about. The first is what's called natural theology. So theology is the study of who? God. It's the study of God. So natural theology would say the study of God in nature, in creation. Um, So is natural theology a legitimate source of knowledge about God? Well, yes. So the book of Romans, particularly Romans chapter 1, does say that we can know certain things from nature. Uh, We can know particularly of God's existence and His power. So, but what's important to note there, it, it does not provide knowledge that leads to faith. Remember, faith comes from hearing. What must we hear to have faith? The Word of Christ. Now, we can know certain facts about God from nature, but we cannot know for the purpose of having faith. Um, you know, it is knowledge of God without content. I think that's, that's a good way of thinking about what we can know about who God is. Um, it does provide evidence of His existence. So even, even today in, in a whole field of study that's considered scientific called intelligent design. You've heard that term, intelligent design. So intelligent design looks at the structures of the world in which we live, the, the natural laws that exist, the, the way that certain things work. Um, consistently, and, and it comes away from it, and it says, there's no way that these particular things could have just happened by chance. There has to be some sort of, if there is design, there must be what to put the design there? A designer. And so that's where the idea of that there is intelligent design behind what we see in the world in which we live and in the universe in which we live. But not only does it show that 
design is there, but it also shows power. So um, I was just thinking about this. Like, if you just think about the power of our sun, all right, think about the power of our sun. It is, I should have looked this up before I got up here, but it is, it is a long way away from where we are here, all right? Millions of, of miles, all right? Millions of miles away from us. And if you go out there today and the sun's shining brilliantly, you know what you'll feel from the sun? Heat, all right? Now, imagine the power that is found in, that, in, in the sun, in our sun. And then think about the fact that our sun is not the most powerful sun in existence in this universe. There, there, are, there are suns that are so powerful that they can actually see um, the warping of space as a result of the gravitational pull of some of these suns. I mean, it's just incredible the power that's out there. Um, I was watching uh, a thing this week about lightning and that there are certain places on the earth where it seems like lightning tends to strike this one, this one lake and I think Venezuela. It just strikes there all the time. And they were talking about just the awesome power of lightning. Um, who, so if there's such power in the sun and such power in, in the uh, weather events and in lightning, then imagine how powerful the one who created those things must be. And so that's what Paul tells us, that there are clear evidences about God's existence and God's power. But that is it. That is all that looking to nature can provide for us. There are some other sort of, sort of associated things that we can, we can figure out from that. We can see that God is perhaps a God of order because of the order that we see in the natural world. There are some other things there, but it's not enough to engender faith. So, the, the, you know, so, natural theology, we can know some things, but we can't know what's sufficient to know God by faith. So, natural theology is one thing. But, and I would say this is probably the thing that most people in our world look to, human intuition. Human intu- intuition. What um, most people conceive of God based on what they think God is. Um, this is the individual's own concept of God. It's who or what they think God is. Um, so let me ask you, what do you think are some common conceptions of who God is based on human intuition? What, what, what do you hear out there that people say about who God is? Okay, the big guy upstairs, all right? So, so the man upstairs who... That means a whole, it can mean a whole host of things to, to a number of diff- different people. So people will say that. What else? What else do people think God is? Okay. So he's a tyrant or a mean-spirited person. All right. There's certainly that, that idea. People think that God is that way. Okay, the universal mind that God is somehow joining together, holding everything together, include, including us, and almost to some extent that God is in us and we are in God in some sort of mystical, strange way. Any other thoughts? What, what do people think God is? Or who do people think God is? Ben? They think He's their God. 
their particular conception of God, right? Oh, they are God, yeah. Yes. Okay, right? All right, so, so people conceive of themselves as God. Yeah. Any other thoughts? So, I, I think that this is the most common way of looking at, from, apart from God's Word, this is the most common way people conceive of God. They all have their own conception of God. And, and here, particularly in the world in which we live today, a postmodern world, a world that believes everything is subjective, well, God can mean one thing to you, and He can mean something completely different to me, and that's okay, right? At least that's what the world would say. Um, and so there can't, like the idea that God is something concrete rather than He is some sort of pliable concept, that is sort of the, the more commonplace idea that we have here today. Now, why is human intuition an invalid source of knowledge about God? Okay. Okay, so So he's creator, we're creature. So and we don't we don't possess the same he lives he lives on an entirely different realm than we do. But what if I conceive of God as somebody who is like me? Which honestly that's what most people do. Ben? Okay. Okay, so sin distorts our conclusions about who God is. And that's the, that's the second point I have here. So I think there's one that I, I think we, we miss sometimes when we think about this, and this is the fact that have, have people ever thought the wrong thing about things? Yes. So, and, and, and this, is, this is why the knowledge of God must be tied to Scripture because if I seek to know God through any other means, it's possible. It's at, we can at least say it's possible that I'm wrong, that I'm mistaken in the way in which I conceive of God. So I, I think I mentioned this recently in a sermon, but when I was, began dating my wife, before I really got to know her, you know, you know, what do you do? You know, you grow up as a teenager and, you know, you're supposed to, supposed to get flowers for a girl that you like, right? So I go, to this, I go to the store and I get her a bouquet of flowers from Shop and I think it was probably Shop and Save. The first place I got flowers for was Shop and Save over here. And, you know, they just have those pre-made bouquets. And what they have in those bouquets is baby's breath, all right? My wife hates baby's breath. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know her. But I, I thought, well, I mean, it's in, I mean, obviously somebody likes baby's breath. It's in, this, it's in this thing. It's in this, so I'm supposed to give it to her. So I give it to her. Now, here's the thing. Now I know not to get a bouquet with baby's breath in it. Why? Because guess what my wife said when I gave her the flowers with baby's breath? She's like, these are beautiful, but I really don't like baby's breath. And it was a, she had to tell me how she felt about something for me to know and understand that reality. So we have to begin with at least the possibility that going with human intuition is going to lead us to wrong conclusions about who God is. But it's worse than that. 
And that's what Ben brought up. Not only can we make wrong conclusions, but our conclusions are marred by sin. And that ensures that not only is it a possibility that we will come to the wrong conclusions, it is a definite truth that we will come to the wrong conclusions. It is inevitable that we, because of sin, will suppress who God is and seek to make a not to make God be who we think He should be. That's what Romans 1 is all about. This is all throughout Scripture. And in fact, I think, I think particularly in um, what Paul, Paul's challenges to um, Timothy and to others is to recognize that people will seek to follow myths rather than truth. So, 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 7. Uh, this is in the passage that we're looking, in the passage that we looked at last week. Um, among them, and the, the them there is referring to individuals who um, are certain persons who, swerving from the truth, wander into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding, um, without understanding what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. From For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses. And then this is the key. Always what? Learning. But never able to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. Because what is driving their learning? It's their own thinking. They are very brilliant people who have no clue who God is because they seek to follow myths. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Timothy warns about those who devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, promoting speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by, guess what he says, faith. Which brings us then to the next source of knowledge about God, and that is special revelation. To overcome our propensity to both make wrong conclusions and the fact that sin shades our investigation about God, God has to tell us who He is. He has to reveal Himself to us. This revelation must be from who? From God which is what we've been building and talking about, that the Scripture is from God. He tells us who He is. And so it is the only legitimate method, the only legitimate source of knowing God. And this is is what separates us from the rest of the world. It's what separates biblical Christianity from every other sort and shade of Christianity. It's that I know God not because I have discovered it, but because He's told it to me in His Word. This is, this is so fundamental to our recognition of who God is. Because only through special revelation, it alone provides for us knowledge of God that is untainted by our incorrect conclusions and the sin that resides in our hearts. Special revelation, the Bible, is the only source of knowledge of God, and this is what's important, that produces saving faith. So, if we, were to, if we were to go out to, um, 
let's say we were to go out to Heinz Field on a Sunday afternoon and, and there's a Steelers game going on. And let's say by some miracle, they hand you the mic. And they say, you can ask one question of the 60,000-some people that are here. And so your question is this. Do you have faith in God? This is Pittsburgh. This is a religious area to some extent. What do you think the response is? you think most people are going to say, yes. What do you think? 80%. So... 80% of 60,000, it's a lot of people. I can't do the math in my head, but it's a lot of people, all right? But but again, here's my my point. They may believe in a God, but they may be believing in a God of their own intuition, not knowing who the true God of the Bible is. And this is the thing. That's why what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes from hearing, hearing from hearing what? The Word of Christ. We have to have that special revelation from God in order to have true saving faith, which means I think it's important for us to define what saving faith is. Um, Everybody believes something, right? Even the atheist believes something. What's his belief? That there is no God. That's his belief, but there's belief so, so when we talk about faith, I think it's important that we describe what saving faith is. And the Reformers are going to be very helpful for us here because they talked about three different ways in which faith exists, in particularly saving faith. See, justification by faith alone was concerning for the Roman Catholic Church for a number of different reasons, but one of the reasons they put forward is they, are go- they said, well, it's going to allow people to indulge in sin because if, they, if it's just about believing, then they can go about their lives and they can say, I believed, and then live sinful lives. Well, that is an injustice to, and it doesn't do, doesn't do credit to what true saving faith is. And so we have these three, Greek, or three Latin phrases that the Reformers used to talk about. They used to talk about notidia, uh, asiensis, and fiducia. All right? these are, and they come in this order. So you can't have asiensis without notidia. You can't have fiducia without, uh, and I'm probably butchering these Latin phrases, but asiensis and notidia. So um, notitia, I'm sorry. That, <laughs> notitia, yes. So, um, notitia, knowledge, all right? Saving faith has to have content. We have to know something. Um, We cannot believe in that which we do not have intellectual knowledge of. We can't believe in some sort of hodgepodge of of ideas there. Um, This is head knowledge. So, we often talk about head knowledge is bad. No, it's not. You need to know the basics and the truths of who God is. Now, do a lot of people have notitia? Yeah, a lot of people have knowledge of the truth. But saving faith requires something else. It requires a census, which is agreement with. So I can know, I can be able to provide for you the truths of the sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. I know it, but that doesn't mean that I agree with it. So saving faith also requires 
that we recognize not only what the content of what God's Word is, particularly what the gospel is, but also we agree that the gospel is correct. Um, saving faith requires us to accept the truthfulness of Scripture. Now, so there are a lot of people who maybe have this head knowledge, but they don't have agreement with it. Um, but can you have both of those things and still not have saving faith? Can you have notitia and ascensus? Yes. And here, here's the thing. Can someone name for me someone in Scripture or a group of, of created beings in Scripture that have both of those things? The devils. The demons. The demons have faith. They believe both the content of what Scripture says, and they also believe that it's true. But where's the difference? The difference is that they don't have fiducia. They don't have dependence. See, fiducia is staking all that we are on the truth that we know and agree with as true. We bind ourselves in dependence on the Christ of Scripture. The devils know and agree with everything in the Bible. They just don't depend upon it. They don't turn to Christ. The truth repulses them. And it reminds me of the, the passage where you know, the demons are being cast out and they, don't, they, they are repulsed by Christ. They want to go anywhere but near Him. And that shows you that they lack fiducia. They lack dependence upon Him. Now, I think what we see, particularly in Romans 10, in Romans 10, 14, before what we're looking at, Paul works backwards using these ideas. He says, how will they call, so that is fiducia, right? So, in other words, if you, if you need to be saved, if you're in the midst of somebody and, and you need somebody, who are you going to call? It's not Ghostbusters. You're going to call Christ. And that call is fiducia. It's dependence upon Him. But we have to, before we can call on Him, we have to believe the truth that He is able to save us. We have to, uh, have to agree with the truthfulness of the statements of Scripture. And for us to believe with the truthfulness of the statements of Scripture, we have to know them. We have to have what? Heard them. So Paul brings out all of those things in reference to faith just goes backwards and works backwards. How can we call? How can we have fiducia unless we have a census? And how can we have a census unless we have notitia? Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, For as for you, continue in what you have. Now here we have the two things, learned and what? Firmly believed. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. And what's really interesting is the 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 term for firmly believed, the underlying Greek term is confidence or certainty of the reliability of something. So we have to know, agree, and then when we know and agree, learning those things from what? The sacred writings. They're able to make us wives for salvation through, and then here we have fiducia, faith in Christ Jesus. Now, those three aspects are necessary, but what is necessary for all three of those aspects to be true in our lives? We have to become acquainted with what? The sacred writings. Scripture is necessary for us to have that faith. Jesus speaks of this in John 5, 39. 
All right? Here's a great example of, uh, again, having um, only two of those three elements. He's talking to the Pharisees. Like, you search the Scriptures. So if you're searching the Scriptures, you're studying them. You're, you're looking deep into them. You're, you know a lot from a head knowledge perspective. And then as you search the Scriptures, you think that in them is the way to eternal life. That is a census. Not only do I know the facts, but I agree with them. But did the Pharisees have saving faith? No. Because Jesus says, they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to what? To come to me. To lay down everything and depend upon me so that you may have life. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it is in the Scripture that we see who? The glory of the Lord, which is the glory of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, speaking of those who have rejected the gospel. The God of this world has blinded them from the unbelievers and keeps them from seeing the glory of Christ, from even agreeing or from even understanding the most basic of those truths. And here's the reality. The the Bible is the most, is one of the most popular selling books in America. But the other thing about the Bible is it's also one of the most unread books in America. It It may be selling out, but it's not being read and so the, the God of this world blinds people from opening their Bible and learning from it. And when you open your Bible by the work of the Spirit, you're able to see the glory of Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Again, notice Scripture shows us who God is. It is the means to knowing who He is. Not our own intuition, not natural theology. It must be Scripture. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, Paul, who is a herald of these things, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And this is it. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we have knowledge, we have a census or or agreement with that knowledge, But then notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This light of the knowledge in the face of Jesus Christ is within us a treasure in our jars of clay to show that the power that guides us in this life does not belong to us, but to who? To God. And that is fiducia. That's dependence. Noting that I have to recognize everything in this life is dependent upon God. So... How can we truly get to know God? We get to know God by faith. Faith which includes notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. If you don't have all three of those elements, what don't you have? You don't have faith. You don't have saving faith. But if you have all three of those, then you have gotten them through the means of the Word of God. We, know, we get to know God by faith, which comes from hearing His Word. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ.
Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we th I thank you that you are more powerful than the God of this world. That the blindness that lies on the hearts of men is not a continual blindness, but Lord, you by your spirit can break, free, break through and free us from the prison of our sin, showing us the glories of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word that we're not left to, to grope in the darkness trying to feel our way to you and never finding you on our own, but Lord, that you revealed yourself to us in the person of your Son, and that your Son shows us Himself through the Spirit's work in the Word. Father, may we cling to your Word. May we not get caught up with the temptation of, of following the world's emphasis on human intuition. And Lord, may we remain grounded in the truth of your Word. We pray these things in Christ's precious name, pleading His blood. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.